Football. It's a man's game. Everyone knows that. Yet the most influential commentator in the game happens to be a woman. She is chief football writer of the age, a panellist on two television programs and a fixture twice weekly on Radio 3AW. Welcome, Caroline Wilson. Thanks for having me, Mike, but uh, I have to pick you up on that. It's not a man's game. I know, you know I know. It just suited the intro, that's all. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Yeah. This, is a, this is the most inclusive football code in the world. And um, we live in a unique city and in a unique country in that way, I think, with our national game. And it's a cliche, and the AFL bring it out far too often to suit their own needs. But most um, audiences are made up of almost 50% mm. of women, and that was how it was for me growing okay, up. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, there's no question you've been a trailblazer for women, and particularly for women who are interested in sports journalism. And you've got to you, you'd admit that. Yeah, look, obviously I never planned on it. I didn't set out for that to happen. I, I never quite believed that would be the role that you'd be describing to me right now. But um, I suppose so. I hope that it's made more women sit up and think that they can take on key roles in the game. I hope eventually it resonates all the way to head office at AFL headquarters because I think they're the ones that are carrying, dragging the chain a bit there where women are concerned. But there are women on the commission and there are women now in football on football club boards. There are. There are. I don't think there are enough women in positions of power at AFL House, so not enough having a big say, not, not, not enough executives. And I think that the AFL has to take a far stronger role there. I think there are signs of it, certainly. In terms of sports journalism, have you smashed the glass ceiling or is it just scratched? Oh, I think in terms of journalism, I don't think the media has ever really been as sexist as many other institutions around this country. I mean, certainly at the age, we have a, a woman sports editor, Chloe Salto, who used to be the chief cricket writer, Samantha Lane, Emma Quayle, two other very senior journos in our, in our panel there at the age. So I think the glass ceiling in journalistic terms has been smashed. Does gender still get used against the female practitioners in this business? Look, I think if it does, it's subtle. I've always um, refused to use it as an excuse for me. Um, a lot of people tell me at particular times during my career where I've been really under the, you know, in the gun and under a lot of pressure that they say this is partly because of your gender and people just don't like you being there. I think I have very strong opinions and I, I can, you know, really be very harsh on people at times and so I can't really expect to play the gender card back, can I? No, that's true. And you, you can be harsh. You'd say harsh but fair. Um, do you follow social media? No, I don't. I don't because I just... Um, I, I think journos who spend too much time reading fan websites and club websites and what people are saying about them on Twitter and on Facebook, I, I just think they become too self-obsessed. And I do think there are people in this industry who honestly think they're finding the cure for cancer when all <laughs> we are doing is a wonderful job covering the greatest game in the world. We go back a long way, don't we? I was, uh, we do. You started at the Herald in the late 70s? Yes, 1978. Yeah. And I think I met you as an 18-year-old in 1979. Yeah. And I, I knew you'd make it. Um, you, you had the pedigree. Your father had been president of the Richmond Footy Club. You grew up in the Richmond fraternity. Uh, you were hungry, you had a nose for news, and you were tough. Yeah, I don't know if I was that tough back then. I was certainly terrified going into the Herald Sports Department for the first time. As a 21-year-old, I think, I'd done my cadetship. I was just finishing it by then. Um, I idolised you. I just absolutely... Really? Was Did really... you keep that a secret? <laughs> <laughs> I don't anymore, so be careful, all right? <laughs> it could be a long night. Yeah, no, I think the part... It's intriguing when I was thinking about confronting you, because we're genuine friends... 
think that nose for news is the fundamental to what we do. One of your other great traits is that you are beguiling. I like that word. You can fall out with people, and you have in this business, and you're able to win them back. Uh, well, that's nice of you to say that. Um, even though I don't idolise you anymore, I still admire <laughs> you, Mike. Um, look, I, 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 like you, I barracked for the story, and I always have. I love football, but I love journalism far more. Um, you once told me as a, as a teenager that really you just had to be on the back page and that was all you should really aim for and it was great advice. Um, I, I, when, when you say I'm beguiling, I don't... And I, I get a bit annoyed sometimes when... And you've said it to me and it, it has irritated me that, um, that I, you know, flutter my eyelashes at some coach <laughs> or CEO and... Which is just ridiculous. OK, before... Let me... And you shouldn't have said it, but... Let me cite you the example of Dennis Pagan. Now, you've had a roller coaster ride with Dennis, the former North Melbourne coach. Now, this is a bloke who said of you, correct me if I'm wrong, did Dennis not say to you at one point, uh, with that caustic tongue of his, that you can't distinguish between a Sharon and an Easter egg? Did he say that? Something along those lines. And, and just because um, your old man used to carry Francis Burke's bags, don't think you know anything about football, which I was just highly insulting both to my father and to me. No, it made me angry. Did what it? a stupid yeah. thing to say. I mean, <laughs> if it was something that was true, they're, 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 that's the stuff that cuts you to the quick, doesn't it? Mm. But it was just ridiculous. It was almost cartoonish. And, um, look, I really like Dennis. I think he's got a great um, gift with a gab. We all, we had, we, in the end, I think we had a pretty good relationship. He did give me a couple of spells. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, yes, he yeah. did occasionally cut them short. But I, I find this with most people in footy and clearly there are some examples I'm sure you'll ask, him, ask me about but um, if you're right and I think in most cases about people I have been very much right then they do sort of respect you and come back to you and if they know that you're going to keep writing stuff they, I think they should come back to you because they should respect your job and what you're doing and what you're doing is trying to take people they can't normally go in football to places that they would like to go. What about your standoff with Andrew Dimitriou? I mean, Andrew used to brag, brag to me that how he just kept not taking your calls for an extended period. Yeah, I think that was for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, it was over something that I thought was fairly trifling. And, again, this is someone who I had a long, and I'm sure Andrew would say too, ultimately very good relationship with. I took him to task at times and he deserved it. I reckon a couple of times I might have been too easy on him. But it was a, um, a line in a story uh, the day the Ricky Nixon story had broke um, with the so-called wrongly named St Kilda schoolgirl. And um, I, I talked about the fact that the AFL had been trying, had been trying to manage the story about Ricky Nixon. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, but the, what, what I think cut Andrew more deeply was the fact that I was very critical of people in power at the AFL who knew Ricky Nixon and had been friendly with Ricky Nixon and had seen him going in this downward spiral in his, within his personal life with all the stuff he was doing, you know, alcohol, drugs, etc. And nobody stepped in. And yet he was one of the most influential still player managers in the game, looking after some of the game's biggest names. And Andrew didn't like that. He didn't... He, he, he completely denied trying to manage the story, but I think a few of them... Should, felt, or they should have felt guilty about what happened with Ricky Nixon. So, yeah, he didn't take my calls for a couple of months. You've taken on the big names. We've talked about Pagan and Dimitriou, and there's been Maguire and Kenneth um, and Malthouse. Any fallout? Deservedly so. Well, I mean, well, that's a subjective assessment, isn't it? I oh, mean, they, yeah. they got angry, so therefore they wouldn't think it was deservedly so. No, but I, I think that um, if 
if we all look back now, the majority of people would say that I'd been fair. I mean, you don't take on people like that without checking your facts and without having a very strong opinion. And there are a couple of things that Mick Malthouse has done over the journey, and Jeff Kennett, and, and who was the other? Oh, Eddie Maguire. Where they deserve to be taken to task. I mean, Eddie has been a great president for Collingwood, but there was a, a period of about a year there, or maybe two, that I think he lost his way, and I've told him that, and he deserved it. So, um, but all of those people now I talk to, and we have, oh, maybe Mick Mothouse. <laughs> I haven't spoken to him for a while. But, you know, he deserves to be taken to task, and I don't regret that. When you sit down at the computer or the laptop, do you ever worry, when the words are coming through the fingers and onto the screen, do you ever toss up whether you're going too hard and whether, the, whether there'll be fallout, or you're always convinced Mike, that, every that... week of my entire life. And um, I, I often say this to younger journos. If, if you take on a, a story, and it mightn't necessarily be a, a, a column, an opinion column, but any form of story... Um, the ones that make you feel sick to the pit of your stomach are the best stories. Mm. I mean, I hate I to say it, but it's true. So you just have to learn to live with that feeling because it never goes away. It doesn't matter how old you are, and I'm in my mid-50s now. It never goes away. And the day it does, I guess I'll stop writing. Has the job brought you to tears? I don't mean that that might come across as a sexist question because you're female, but has it brought you to tears at any time? Um, oh, the... Um, a couple of nights after um, Sam Newman dressed me up as a mannequin, mm. that, that made me cry. And I know you never really understood that. Um, well, how do you know that? Well, because we've argued about it and I've told you I didn't think you were particularly supportive of me during that time. You didn't see what all the fuss was about. And um, so I didn't want to put, turn the tables back on you, but um, a lot of people took your view. I was particularly hurt, I think, by you because we were such good friends and I felt that... If someone, something had upset me that much, I, I felt that maybe you should have understood that. And in your very senior role, as the most senior footy journal in the country, I felt a bit let down. I've got to be honest with you. I wouldn't you. have asked this question if I'd known what the answer was. Um, well, I think I've told you this privately. So, so what, refresh me. What was my stance on that? Um, you just said to me a couple of times, and you said it a couple of times on radio, and if you remember, it became a, it became a bit of a national scandal mm, because mm. of the ensuing fallout between... Channel 9's The Footy Show and a lot of senior women in the game who had taken a stand, yep. which was terrible the way they were, they were treated. Um, and I remember you saying a couple of times you just couldn't really see quite what all the fuss was about, about what Sam had done. And I know Sam's a friend of yours as well, so maybe it was difficult, but um, I just felt so humiliated that night. And I remember... Okay, let's, sorry, but yeah. you said that night. Let's, let's take, go back to that night. Were you at home? Were you watching The Footy Show? Yeah, I was. Yeah? I was. So you were at home with Brendan and the kids? No, no. Um, Brendan, I don't know where he was. I think he might have been away um, working, working on a state political story interstate or overseas. I can't quite remember. But um, my eldest daughter, Rose, was 17 and my 15-year-old son, Ned, and I, um, I don't think my youngest was watching. I don't think Clementine was there. Um, but we were watching the show and we just all sort of sat there stunned, absolutely stunned. And if you remember, I was working at Channel 9 then, as I am now, and we all sort of sat there stunned and then, the, you know, the phone started almost, you know, mm. rebounding <clears> off the, you know, coffee table with text messages um, from friends just absolutely disgusted and really upset for me. And I think for a couple of days I was in shock, but I think it was a Friday night. I remember I was meant to be going to a party and I pulled out. I didn't want to go yeah, really? out. And um, I sat again on the sofa in front of the fire and I just, 
I don't know, I just started crying and I still can't believe that it made me that upset. So and what was what specifically offended you most about I that? I just felt was so it humiliated. The it was just, you know, having my, my photograph sort of staple gun to a, a mannequin and people in sort of underwear and, and all these blokes sort of sitting around laughing. I think if, if I had to put it mm. in those... Uh, you know, it, it must be said that, you know, some of the people involved, notably... Gary Lyon and Luke Tunnicliffe and Tim Cleary, who were in front of the camera, behind the camera people who were involved in that show, they were incredibly regretful and apologetic. Did you address it with Sam? Well, Sam was told to address it with me. Um, and, um, Sam, look, Sam and I are fine now. It, one thing about me, I think, and I think this, this magnif is magnified by the entire industry, I think we're a pretty forgiving industry. And um, I don't have a long memory like a lot of people, but Sam, Sam rang me on the Saturday. He tried to ring me for a, uh, from Friday night. I wouldn't take his calls. And when I finally did take his call on the Saturday, he said, if you quit this job, if you quit Channel 9 because of what's happened in your week. Hmm. And I just thought, well, Sam, I don't think you, you really quite understand how hurt I am. So the conversation didn't really continue from there and we didn't speak for quite some time. The story of, of recent years is uh, the James Heard story at Essendon. Now, you, you're entitled to feel totally vindicated on your stand on Essendon and Heard. Let's go back to the start. You are seen in certain quarters to have been conducting a vendetta against Heard. Yep. You're married to Brendan Donoghue, is an Essendon tragic, and had Heard as a hero. Take me through the pillow talk early on. <laughs> oh, that's very personal. <laughs> um, Look, only once in the first month or two um, after that story broke, and, and it must be said that Brendan also barracks for the story, yep. being, a, being a journalist, and a very good one, and not, not being biased there. He's a brilliant journalist, my husband. But he, he could see that something was very rotten in the state of Windy Hill from the word go. But he did say to me once, and I don't think it was over pillows, but I think it might have been in the kitchen, he did say to me once... Are you sure you're not going too hard mm. on James? Are you sure you're right about this? To which you said? I said, yes, I am. Mm. I mean, you don't... I know, I know people, people use the word vendetta and witch hunt. I, I just think that is so insulting and so inaccurate. I understand that, but there was... That's, but I'm you're talking right, about the people, people did say yep. that, they did. Um, you don't take on James Hurd and his role in a drug scandal without doing your research. People, you know, love to use a convenient line that, you know, the AFL was leaking these stories. I mean, it just was ridiculously not true. I was talking to parents of players. I was talking to other people who worked in that footy department. I was talking to lawyers and player managers and, yes, occasionally the AFL. And it was quite clear to me that James, while he... I don't think he knew that the players were taking what turned out to be um, performance-enhancing or banned drugs, but I do think that he sanctioned that program I'd seen through some very good investigative journalism at my own newspaper... Baker that, um, and Mackenzie. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick um, Mackenzie and Richard Baker, mm. that, that I, I saw what he'd said in the text messages. Mm. I mean, he, he was in it up to his ears. And not only that, but the minute um, that all kicked in, so did the self-preservation. 
and the selfishness Caroline, you upset said, me more than anyone else. But you said 30 seconds else. ago you don't believe he thought they were taking anything that was a prohibited substance. Did you not say that? Yes. Okay, if that's the case, what has he done wrong? These are... As a father of boys and as the mother of a boy, it, it still makes me sick to my stomach that a football club and their head coach knew that these guys were being taken off site and injected some of them twice a week in their stomach for four months. He denies that there was experimentation. It has been found to have been experimentation. Ziggy Switkowski said it in his report. They were sending off placebo. They were, do, they were doing blood tests comparing bodies with bodies, sending stuff off to factories. It was absolutely okay. disgraceful. Uh, um, no, but you can't just gloss over this. No, I'm not the, glossing the, over it. But the, you... the illegal side of it is just, to me, it's turned out to be a major story. To me, it was always the welfare story and the failure of that coach and that football club to look after those young men who had been sent there trustingly by parents. I mean, the older players, I sort of think they maybe should have taken a bigger stand and they knew what they were doing. But there were 19-year-olds, mm. Mike. Yep. It was, it, it's still the most shameful story that has happened in AFL okay, football. OK, You did and you covered, you were brave and you were committed and you were consistent with that story. Are you disappointed that you wrote the story on the website at The Age in late 2014 that Heard was to be sacked and he wasn't Of course wasn't I'm sacked. disappointed. Yeah. Of course I'm disappointed. Um, you're always disappointed when you make a mistake. Always. And that was a, a mammoth mistake. I mean, it was... But, but was it, it right was at on... the time? Was it... Do you, your understanding now, looking back, were you correct when you said that James Heard is about to be sacked by yes. the... Yes. You yes. were correct. But, but so I they backed off it. But I, I should have used... I, I should have wor used the words is facing the sack, is about to be sacked. I think I said he'd been terminated or yep. he'd been removed. Yep. Now, that decision had been made. You know me well enough to know I wouldn't write something so big and momentous without knowing that to be the case. It all changed in, in, during the time that my story was online. And I shouldn't have done it. It made a mistake. I apologised on radio, television and in a mm. column in the newspaper. Mm. I couldn't have been more sorry. Um, and, yes, it's true that, you know... It was right at the time, but that doesn't make it right. I want to take you, uh, not literally, but back in time to Como Park and you're walking your dog. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's another dog comes from the opposite Why direction. Why I ever told anyone this story, <laughs> I do not know. Well, take us through it. Oh, look, it was um, late in 2013. I think it was the footy season had ended. Uh, James Heard had been suspended for a year by the AFL. Essendon had been fined a couple of million dollars and lost draft picks, etc. And I was meeting a girlfriend, as I do most weeks, down at Como Park. And um, my beautiful brown Labrador started playing with a golden Labrador. And my girlfriend was late. <laughs> Still annoyed at her <laughs> about that. You deserve that. that. <laughs> um, and, um, and the Labradors are playing. And I notice a, a blonde bloke and his blonde young son running up the hill at Como Park. And I'm calling my dog. And I realise the blonde bloke is James Hurd. And um, What was the exchange? There wasn't an exchange. Nothing, you, no words exchanged? No. No. No eye contact? No, James didn't. I looked at him. He didn't look me in the eye. He just kept running. Thank heavens I extricated my dog from his dog. And um, they kept running. And my girlfriend turned up and I was, they, they went back down the hill and I wasn't going to change my, you know, where I walked. So we just we never saw each other again. How did you handle the email from uh, one of Herdy's daughters, I think Stephanie? Sent you an email? Yeah, his only, his only daughter. His only daughter, yeah. Yeah, I, I did tell you about that one. So I don't want to go into that in too much detail because um, Stephanie, when she wrote that, was an adolescent. She was sticking up for her father. 
Um, she was insistent that she hadn't been put up to it by her parents and she just wanted to tell me, um, ask me a couple of things. Um, the, the thing I think I can say is that she was very concerned. She heard that I was, gonna, I was writing a book about her father and she asked me not to write the book. And um, I, when I, I responded to her email, there was a lot of other stuff in there too that I won't go into, but... Um, I just said, look, I'm, it's not true. I'm not writing a book. There's a lot of misinformation around and I congratulated on her for supporting her father. Can you foresee James Sturt ever returning to the AFL in any capacity? Look, I can't. I can't. And I, I know, as I said before, we're a very forgiving industry, but I think it'd be very hard to take him seriously at the moment and a lot of water's going to have to go under the bridge for that to okay. happen. This is a question, it's a, a rhetorical question. I think you owe James Brayshaw an apology. Do you? Yeah. I think you, you actually went after James Brayshaw uh, and were real, harshly critical of him about not taking his football club to Queensland and among other things. And you even suggested at one point that Sam Kekovic should take his place. I... Now, North Melbourne's situation at the moment has got to be deemed to be healthy, doesn't it? Not? Yeah, and um, it's funny you say that. I might have um, done something with North Melbourne in recent days where I've said that James Brayshaw's regime's been very successful. <laughs> and I, I, I take you up on one point. I never said he should have taken the club to Queensland. Once he, once he took on the job, I was totally supportive of them staying in Melbourne. What I, what, when I went after him was because I felt he, there were so many factions and so much carnage, carnage and bloodshed after that whole episode that I thought he took far too long and he still hasn't unified all those factions. He didn't see that as his role. Um, I've come to realise that James is never going to be the sort of president, and no, I didn't want him to be Eddie Maguire, but I think that there was enormous dissatisfaction internally at his failure to sell the club publicly, to be there, to glad hand, to, to, to be the front man. So you don't think you were harsh on James Brayshaw? I think that... Um, I cert if, I'm not going to apologise to him. <laughs> I certainly think that um, he, over the journey, you'd have to give him a very big tick. You'd okay. have to give him a very big tick. And this isn't, isn't the first time I've said that. Mm. But at, there, there was a period where I thought he did really fail to show leadership when they needed it. Caroline, you've been Chief Operator of the Age since 1999. I want to take you back ten years before that. Grand final day, 1989. You were working for the Sunday Age. We both were. There was a story the Sunday Age had about Gary Abbott Senior and some trouble with the police. Is that right? Am I, is it? Yeah, about, about time he might have spent in, in prison yeah. and um, a, a, a police charges. OK. Yeah. So Gary Ablett's lost the game, lost the match and won the Norm Smith medal. And this uh, girlie from the ages, Alan Jeans used to like to describe you, has turned up and asked him about uh, his trouble in his time in prison. Yeah. Um, Pretty he tough. Heavily pregnant girlie, as I remember at the time, too. Um, look... How did you broach that? It with was you? the only opportunity I was going to get to ask the question. And what I can't stand is when people write stories and they don't actually, you know, go and ask the person who they're writing about. And we were doing a big piece during that final series and subsequently on Gary, Gary Ablett, Warts and all. And as you remember, the, the enigma exists mm. to this day, but it was massive at the time. And I didn't only ask him about that. I mean, obviously, I've 
got a I few... know your style. <laughs> <laughs> you were said, well played, Gaz. Oh, well, <laughs> it was one of the greatest games we've ever seen mm. played. I mean, I did obviously talk about all of that for the age the next day. But during the interview, and, and obviously about the Norm Smith medal and the devastation of losing a game that clearly was, came, you know, they, they maybe should have won the greatest, one of the greatest, we knew even then, didn't yeah. we, we'd seen one of the great games. And you just said, Gary, just before I go... <laughs> I asked him about... Yeah. I asked him about um, being charged by police and asked him how much time he'd actually spent in prison. To which he said? He said, I'm not going to talk about that. And then he rubbed my heavily pregnant stomach and asked me if um, he would like me to bless... The unborn child. Really? I know that's one story you didn't tell me. It's fairly, fairly unusual. I mean, I think the fun... I just want to say this. All these exchanges, I think, fascinated people fascinate people partly because male and female, not so much now because so many women cover the game, but but to this day it continues. The, the fallout with James Hurd, um, the enmity or whatever you want to call it with James Brayshaw, people sort of see me as having this... some sort of female hatred or dislike, and it's always comes down to personalities. In the end, you're just doing your job. And being male or female doesn't really come into it. I think that's the only time when the sexist card can be played by me, where where people sort of get too obsessed by the relationships. And, you know, people are always saying to me... Some horrible person said to me once, oh, did did James Heard knock you back once? I mean, that's the sort of comment that... (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that. You know, you shouldn't. No, sorry, I take it back. I mean... That sort of stuff just staggers me, that, you know, people would still think that way. That, that's where I think we still have a long way to go. Why didn't you go to the Herald Sun when the chief football writer's role was vacant? This After is about... you left? Yeah. Um, well, it, it was a tempting offer and um, I, you know, it was, it was put to me that, you know, this was going to be a major role, obviously, not only with the paper but also at Fox Footy and a couple of other things. I really love the age in the end. Um, so that's what it was. It, it was not economics. It was just purely that you... The age made a pretty compelling case for me to stay mm. and, um, and they made it clear that they really wanted me to stay. But in the end, the one thing I love about Melbourne, and I hope this isn't too parochial, is that we're a two-newspaper town. Mm-hmm. And it concerns me. I love... The Herald Sun's a great paper. You know, at times there are things, you know, they write that we've talked about that can be a bit hurtful, but... There are two great newspapers in this town. Yes, um, both diminished to, to varying degrees, but it worries me that I sometimes feel that News Limited doesn't want this to be a two-newspaper town, that they would prefer to control all the news, news media in this city, and that's what one of the things that makes Melbourne and Sydney great cities. OK, you can I think say we that. need the two newspapers. I think Fairfax... I'm not sure Fairfax wants two newspapers in this town. They clearly seem to be downgrading the age. I, I don't believe the age will be will be getting that in hard copy form Monday to Friday within three years. Look, I, now, hope, I hope you're wrong, but there's a lot of evidence well, you, to support what are you, that. I mean, your, your circulation's under 100,000 a day. In terms of newspapers, yeah. yeah, not in terms of online. No, no, but I'm talking about the news... I love newspapers, the hard copy, as you so do. So do I, yeah. so do I. Um, yes, it's, it's a terrible time for newspapers and it's not a great time for the age. But I love the age and I believe that there are enough good people still there and I have faith that whatever form it takes over the next few years, that there will always be an age masthead that has a major say in what goes on in Melbourne. What's there... your favourite medium? Newspapers. Yeah? Yeah, newspapers. I mean, it's very nice of you to have me on this show. I feel very flattered, <laughs> but I don't think TV is something I'm absolutely brilliant at. But there's nothing like going into a newspaper, knowing you've got a great yarn picking up the paper or these days, you know, clicking online and seeing a big story that you know is going to make a difference. 
and maybe set the agenda, maybe upset a few people, but um, that is going to change something in this very small but important world in which we live. Despite the fact that you've insulted me three times today, <laughs> you, are, you, know, you know what I think of you as a journalist. I say that publicly all the time. I mean, if I were hiring, starting a newspaper, you'd be the first person I'd hire. You've actually done a great service to women who want to be journalists and uh, may it long continue. Well, thanks for all the help you've given me along the way. I really appreciate it. This has been a Fox Footy production. Part of the Fox Sports Network.